we go back and watch those anniversary videos those wedding videos we remember what was it like when my love had no limits where I was all forgiving when I would do anything I you have to remember those days we have short memories with a lot of things we have selective memories with a lot of things we have to remember what was it like when I was on fire for God remember and then repent Firsts are a big deal for us. First time driving a car, first day of school, first love. That initial excitement is intense and memorable. But how often since then have you been excited about driving? The novelty of school probably wore off pretty quickly. And first love, love requires maintenance and work to keep burning. As we'll find out today, the church in Ephesus had lost their first love. Pastor Daniel will challenge you to remember when you were on fire for God, to repent of that lost flame and return to Him. But they, they weren't sober-minded enough to say, to check God's Word, is this true? Is it true? And that shouldn't be so in our day and age because we have more access to biblical information in an instant in an instant. And listen, don't believe everything you read on the internet. Read your Bibles. If you have trouble finding a verse, you can, I mean, you can Google love in the Bible, grace in the Bible. You can Google it and you'll find it. You don't even need to carry a big old concordance anymore. I mean, it's amazing. You go to the different websites, just plug it in. But we should care about doctrine because listen, everything is theological. Whatever your doctrine is, that's how you live your life. I was so heartbroken. I was talking with someone. They were sharing with me about a, a church, and it was a wedding. And the pastor came on in and said, well, you know, I'm the pastor, and I can stop anything I want to in this wedding. I'm like, what? As if it's about a pastor. It's about Jesus and the grace of God. You know, and we, as God's people, we need to go down deep in the gospel. And the gospel's simple. You can go into our kids' ministry. They'll tell you what it is. It's that we're a little messed up. God still loves us. He sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sins and that God's working on us. That's the gospel. And we need to go down deep in that because it's all the people like, you can't be saved if you, if you believe in Jesus. And you have to have this done too. And this done too. And, oh, Pastor Daniel, you can't be a Christian and have dreadlocks. I hear that all the time. Like, oh, Pastor Bill Ritchie must be going liberal on us. That was my favorite one. I'm like, yeah, you know, God's grace just can't save me, you know. <laughs> See, what you believe drives who you are. And if you believe in a loving, gracious God, then you're going to be a loving, gracious person. You're still going to stand up for truth because our, Jesus is the truth. And when someone's off the deep end, we go and say, listen, we, I love you, but I think you're a little off the deep end. Can we talk about that? I'm not judging you. I love you. I just want to see, I want to take the next steps with Jesus too. See, the church in Ephesus just didn't accept everything that everyone told them. They searched the scriptures diligently. 
Are these things so? Notice, continuing on, verse 3, you have persevered and have patience. I like that. This is a church that doesn't quit. They keep persevering. They don't stop. Sure, it might get tiring at times, but it was a don't quit type of a place. And then he ends his sevenfold commendation. All the things are doing well. You have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. So not only are they persevering, but they have really rolled up their sleeves and they're keeping going. They're not stopping. That's a great, what a great checklist of good things for a church. It was great. I felt like I read that down. I'm like, man, that's a lot like Crossroads, man. 37, 38 years of ministry, laboring for the Lord, not stopping, not quitting, still going. So praise God. If you find your life in here, praise God. Jesus is proud of his church. But he doesn't just stop with the good. Jesus does want to get into where the issue is. Look at what it says. Look at what it says here in verse 4. Nevertheless, that's a terrible word to hear in the midst of being praised, right? It's all good, nevertheless. You're like, ah, here it comes. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So the issue in the church of Ephesus is that they have left your first love. Now, it's interesting that Jesus was Yoda before Yoda was Yoda. Because the word order in the Greek is literally your first love you have left. Which sounds an awful lot like Yoda in Star Wars, right? Where you put, you guys don't do Star Wars? Okay. (laughs) You could tweet that, that Jesus was Yoda before Yoda was Yoda. That's a good tweet. Okay, anyway. Your first love you have left. What does it teach us? We need to let love remain fervent even as it matures. Let love remain fervent even as it matures. Jesus is saying, look, you're doing all this stuff great, but you've left your first love. And when I read this, and when scholars have read this, when you read it, you, you think about young love, right? You think about when a couple first falls in love, and they believe that God's called them to be married. And it's just like, you, they can't see anything wrong with the other person. Right? I mean, that person has got it dialed in. And they just kind of float to their wedding day. Right? And then they get married. And you guys, you, you've been to weddings, right? And it's just like, they are just, ah, like, you're just like, you know, gag reflex every once in a while. <laughs> you know, and, and you're happy for them because it's young love. They're just, they're absolutely in love. And you're just like, you know. And, and then, of course, your wife comes over and says, do you remember when we were like that? And you're just like, yeah, I do remember when we were like that. The church in Ephesus loved God and people. But over time, they started to stray away from that young love. And that's why I say let love remain fervent even as it matures. No matter how long you've been married, your love should be fervent. No matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, Jesus doesn't get ho-hum over time, just the way your spouse shouldn't get ho-hum over time. That's why there's that encouragement. And if you've ever heard this as married, go back and watch your wedding video again every year on your anniversary. Because something happens when you remember who you used to be. 
before there was water under the bridge, before all these things were swept under the rug. And you just love the other person. And you knew they were all messed up, but it didn't even matter at that point. You're like, look, I just love this person. I'm so excited that God has brought us together that we're going to be married. But what happens is over time, we lose that young love. We start to remember all the trivial things that really don't matter. Or we have a bunch of big things that go on and we don't let them off the hook. And I, I know that this is a word for a lot of us. You might be saying, listen, Pastor Daniel, me and her, we've been married for twice as long as you've been alive. You don't realize all the stuff that's gone on. And you know what the beauty is? Is God's love for you remains the same no matter who we are. So we need to let that love remain fervent. The church of Ephesus had all the right motions, but they lacked the proper devotion. They were doing so many things right, but they weren't absolutely overjoyed young love, although mature young love for the Lord and for other people. It reminds me of Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2. Isn't, as Jeremiah began his ministry, he said this to the children of Israel. God said, go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown. See, God begins his critique through Jeremiah to the people of Israel, because he's like, I remember what you were like when you first, when it first began, how you would have done anything. The kindness, the joy, how you would go into a land not sown. You're like, Lord, we'll just we'll go anywhere you want us to go. But Jeremiah was going to critique them because they got sour. They got bored. Now it's like, Lord, that's just too hard. I mean, yeah, sure, we slayed giants back in the day, but today I'm just, I'm a little tired. You haven't shown up for me, Lord. How many of us in here today, the Lord could say the same thing about us? whether it's in our love for God or our love for people. Because isn't that what Jesus said? Love's the main thing. First, love for God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And second, our love for people. And when we first get saved, you love God with everything, you give him everything. My life's yours. And every person you meet, like, I'm just going to love that person, no matter what they do to me. Because Jesus died. He saved my soul. I'm just going to love, 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 love. And then over time, what happens is, is we still do all the right churchy things, but we lose that radical devotion and passion for people and for God. Do you remember what it was like when you used to worship when you first got saved? When, you, when you'd stand in the sanctuary with your arms raised and the tears would just just flow out of your eyes. You'd hear a song or you'd read the Bible. Remember that was like, open up the Bible every morning was like ripping open a letter from a love that you can't wait to be reunited with. You're reading it, pouring over it. Do you remember what those days are like? What's happened? Where have we gone? Where have we gone? A lot of us, like the church in Ephesus, life and struggles and our own personal issues get in the way of us just loving God and loving people. And I believe God wants to bring us back. We should be just as passionate about loving God and loving people as we were on the day that we got saved. I think of what Jude chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy face, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God. We need to let love remain fervent, even as 
it matures. Now, I know a lot of us right now, and I was this way this week as I was studying, being like, man, that's totally me, Lord. That's me. I got all these, the motions are right, the devotion is lacking. For you, Lord, and for people, what do you do? And then you get the challenge. Jesus gives them the tools to take the next step. Look at what it says in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Here's the challenge. Remember, repent, and return. Remember, repent, and return. This is the prescription. If you're here today and your love has waned, that Jesus could say to you, I have this against you. You've left your first love. Remember, repent, and return. Notice he says, he says, remember from where you've fallen. That's why we go back and watch those anniversary videos, those wedding videos. We remember what was it like when my love had no limits, where I was all forgiving, when I would do anything. I, you have to remember those days. We have short memories with a lot of things. We have selective memories with a lot of things. We have to remember what was it like when I was on fire for God. Remember and then repent. Repent is a biblical word. It's actually a beautiful word. Sometimes you think of repent, you think of some guy with a grizzled beard standing on a, on a milk crate in the middle of a city yelling at people. Repent literally means to come back, to return. You've strayed, time to come home. The prodigal son who, was, who got away from his father, who simply came back, turned around, took a U-turn, that's what repent means. It's a beautiful word because repentance means that you're coming home. So remember where you are, turn around, come back, repent. Stop going the direction you're going and choose a new direction and then return. Why? Because it says, repent and do the first works. So return back to what you used to do. Just because you've gotten older does not mean that you've gotten more mature. Just because you have more days does not mean that you have become better seasoned to do what you're doing. It just means you have more days. So what's interesting is to the church in Ephesus, Jesus says, listen, remember how it used to be when you were young and on fire. Turn, change direction, and go back to doing what you did in the beginning. That's great counsel. That's great counsel. What was it like when you were really on fire for Jesus? And go back and do that again. What was it like when you were totally on fire for your spouse? Go back and do those things again. Me and Lynn were talking about this. It's rough. She's like, Daniel, I remember you used to write me all these letters. She's like, when was the last time you wrote me a letter? Ye yesterday. <laughs> you guys are laughing. Don't laugh. Your wife's like, you don't bring me flowers. You don't sing me love songs. <laughs> Man, we need to go back and do the first things over again. What, remember what it was like when you first got saved and the church couldn't be open enough? Do you remember what it was like in the 80s when Dr. Bill Ritchie used to do marathon sermons? It didn't matter that you were hungry, right? 
Me and Bill always talk about that because, you know, as he's gotten older, he's, he's, he's become more profound in his brevity. And I'm like, Bill, I remember, I heard the stories about you on a Sunday night hour and 20 minutes. So he's like, well, that's not today. Let's not talk about that right now. <laughs> but you remember what it was like when you can go to all day worship, right? And it was like, you, you didn't have anywhere to go. It didn't matter. Jesus, Jesus is here. For you younger folks, you remember what it was like when you were on fire for Jesus, right? When it was like, man, you'd just tell your friends, it didn't matter if they didn't like you. It's like, oh, what do you mean you're a Christian? You're like, yeah, I am a Christian. What's it to you? You should be a Christian too, right? It didn't matter. It didn't matter what people felt because you knew what Jesus was up to in your life. We need to remember repentance. We need to return. Go back. He's telling the church of Ephesus, go back to when you were young and in love and reckless for me and the cause of the gospel. Go back and do it again. Notice what he says in the middle of this. He says, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He's saying, listen, you need to do this or else I'm going to remove your opportunity to be a witness for me. Think about what Jesus is saying there. He's saying, look, I'm in your midst. I need to come back and I need to deal with this with you. And what's interesting is historically, is there a church in Ephesus today? No. Sure, there's Christians in the city now, but that church vanished off the, the books of history. It vanished. doesn't exist. They lost their witness and their ability to be light in the darkness. And then he goes on to say, but you have this, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, who were the Nicolaitans? Nobody knows. There's a lot of different arguments about it. The word Nicolaitans, it's those who would follow Nicol or Nicholas, and some want to tie it to the Nicholas who became a deacon in Acts chapter 6. Um, Irenaeus in the, in the late second century did it that way. A student of Irenaeus, Hippolaitus, associated the Nicolaitans with the Gnostics. Others want to say Nicol and laity means the rule over the people. So it's the idea of a clergy-laity divide. And you can find about 300 other interpretations of that. All we know is we don't know who exactly the Nicolaitans were, but we do know it was a problem in that church in that day because some of the other churches allowed the Nicolaitans to do whatever it was that they were doing. So it was a, it was a segment within Christianity. But notice, Jesus says that he hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, I just wanted to bring that up. I, I can't tell you exactly what the Nicolaitans were doing or not doing. Some would say that they were idol worshipers. There's all these different interpretations. But what is interesting is that Jesus did hate what they were doing as much as the church in Ephesus did. And don't miss that. Jesus died on a cross for your sins, but doesn't mean he loves everything that everybody does. And I think that's the point of it, that there are certain things that Jesus just doesn't accept from us. So really the key for us is if our devotion is waning, we need to remember, we need to repent, and we need to return. That's what we need to do. And now look at what it says in verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Every one of the letters have that kind of a phrase. If you have ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's why each church's letter can be applied to everybody. What that also means is that you can have ears and not hear either. You can hear but not hear what God's trying to speak to us. We have to always be careful that we are humble and teachable. So we say, Lord, I want to learn from you. I want to hear what you're saying to me today. So what is the promise? Notice what it says in the middle of verse 7. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat 
from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. This teaches us that paradise is gained by overcoming. Paradise is gained by overcoming. Now, the idea of overcoming, it's an athletic term or a military term. It means to rise up against adversity. That's what it means. And I believe it's an important point for us because each one of us faces adversity in life of all different sorts, all different shapes and sizes, all different colors, and for all different reasons. Each one of us, God is asking, by his spirit, can we rise up and overcome? What's the hurt in your life today? What's that thing that's holding you back from being the man, the woman that God has created you to be? What is that thing that you're struggling to put behind you? Paradise comes from us inspired by the Holy Spirit to be able to put it behind us. Notice, he says, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the garden of God. You know what's interesting? In the book of Genesis, chapter 2 and 3, and at the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation 22, the idea of this tree of life pops up in the beginning and at the end of your Bible. Do you remember Adam and Eve? They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But God wanted them out of the garden unless they ate the tree of life and existed perpetually, eternally in their fallenness. So he banished them from the garden. He banished them from the garden and he put angels there in a sword, flaming sword of fire so they couldn't get back in. And then again, at the end of the book of Revelation in the New Jerusalem, there is the, the tree of life. It says that the leaves of that tree were for the healing of the nations. So the tree of life, it begins the Bible, God's paradise, and in the New Jerusalem, again, God's paradise with the tree of life. To him who overcomes, it says, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Think about this. The blessing of God, the paradise, what God intended is bestowed on us as we overcome. That's where it comes from. So I ask you today, where is the area of overcoming that you need? What is the struggle that you have going on? Because God wants to take you from a place. He wants to take you from a place where there's struggle and trial. And he wants to place you into a place of blessing. Jesus is real. The emotions are right, but the devotion is lacking. That was the problem we heard about today as we looked at the letter in Revelation to the church in Ephesus. They'd lost their first love. Pastor Daniel asked us to think about all of the things that come up in life that get in the way of our devotion to God, and to think back to the time when we were on fire for Him, to remember, repent, and then return. Now, here's Pastor Daniel. 
God is doing some amazing things here at Crossroads Community Church. And I'm so thankful for what God is doing right here on Jesus' Real Radio. It's my prayer that each day when you join us, that Jesus truly is becoming more real in your life. I want to invite you to join us at Crossroads Community Church this Sunday live. We stream all of our services live on the internet. Sundays 9 and 11.15 Pacific Standard Time or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. as well as Encore services. All of our services are there for people who can't make it to be with us live at church. So please join us at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time here on Jesus is Real Radio as we continue to work out the letters addressing the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Next up is the church at Smyrna, who we see suffering because of their faith. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Daniel will continue sharing with us from the book of Revelation. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.